Welcome to Music for Life, exploring the purpose and value of music to humanity's enrichment. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. is the fourth and final movement of Johannes Brahms's magnificent piano quintet in F minor, a quintet involving a piano, two violins, viola, and cello, performed here by the Guarneri String Quartet with Arthur Rubinstein. This is one of the great quintets of music history. And today on Music for Life, we are going to discuss the great quintet, sextet, septet, octet, and nonet repertoire of music history in an episode I've titled Music from Five to Nine. In our Sounds of Scripture segment, we will explore evidence of the octave, the famous eight-note interval in the music of biblical times. And in our classroom corner, we will discuss a lesson from a pottery class that teaches the quality of product a music student can achieve from a mere quantity of practices and experiences. All this and more on today's episode of Music for Life. If you've been listening to our program this season, you know we have been exploring some of the great instrument groupings throughout music history. We've discussed some great solo repertoire from instruments that are usually not heard completely solo, and we've also looked at the great pairings, trios, and quartets of history. Today, let's explore compositions that combine or feature five or more instruments together. So the quintet up to the nonet. Anything higher than that is usually just called a small ensemble, instead of given a name like decatet for a 10-piece ensemble, or a hendecatet or dodecatet for 11- or 12-piece ensemble. Before we get into these small instrument groupings, let's first have a brief Sounds of Scripture segment where we survey the Bible's many references to music for a longer-sweeping historical perspective on our episode's theme. Since we are exploring ensembles from five to nine members today, I thought it fitting to discuss the commonly used interval based on the span of eight notes, the most consonant and commonly used interval in all music, the octave. Scientifically, a note an octave higher than another vibrates exactly twice as fast in frequency than the lower note, or a note an octave lower than another would vibrate exactly twice as slow in frequency than the higher note. So say if you plucked a guitar string and then shortened that string by exactly half and plucked it again, that note would be twice as fast in frequency, an interval we call an octave. Octave implies eight notes, and there are a host of mathematical reasons why we have divided the pitches between these two frequencies into seven intervening notes. 
At any rate, we end up with two notes that are eight notes apart, hence an octave. And there is evidence that the ancient Hebrews, based on the Bible's Old Testament, used the same interval and even gave it a similar name to what we give it in our language today. There's an interesting Hebrew word called Shemanit, and it means eighths. This word finds itself in the inscription of two psalms, Psalm 6 and Psalm 12. When King David transferred the ark to Jerusalem, some of the orchestra members were commanded to play upon Sheminit in eighths. Many scholars agree this is referring to one of the most commonly used intervals, the octave. In that example, the processional for the Ark of the Covenant, it says some musicians were to play their harps in this manner, or in eighths, to excel, a phrase that means to oversee or lead. The Hebrew is likely implying that these men played their harps or sang the melody an octave higher or possibly lower, a technique that would have made their pitches stand out in the texture, and their eighth would be the lead part of the composition, or it would add power to the melody. This is a common composition technique still today, where a composer will reinforce a melody by having a group of musicians or one musician play it an octave higher, or where the composer will add power to the bass by having an instrument play the bass line an octave lower, much like cellos and basses do in a standard orchestra. The interesting part of the word Shemanit is that the Hebrews called this musical interval an eighth. That shows something about their scale system. The first note and the eighth note were that perfect interval so common in music. That implies, just like our music today, seven intervening different notes between those two frequencies. This has been Sounds of Scripture. You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In today's episode, we are exploring the great quintet, sextet, septet, octet, and nonet repertoire of music history. In an episode I've titled, Music from Five to Nine. We'll start our journey through music history by listening to a brass quintet, which typically consists of two trumpets, one French horn, a trombone, and tuba. This kind of ensemble grouping was used even back in the Renaissance era by composers such as Giovanni Gabrielli and Samuel Scheidt. But we're going to listen to a brass quintet play something from the Baroque era. This is the most famous brass quintet around today, the Canadian Brass. This group, formed in 1970 and still going strong today, performs everything from Renaissance to Dixieland and boasts a discography of over 130 albums. We're going to hear them play The Little Fugue in G Minor by J.S. Bach. This was not written for brass quintet, rather for organ. However, one of the group's original trumpeters, Ronald Rahm, arranged this piece for their quintet. Thank you. 
That was a brass quintet, the most famous one in the world, the Canadian Brass, performing their own arrangement of Johann Sebastian Bach's Little Fugue in G Minor, joined in that recording by the Warsaw Philharmonic. As we move into the classical era, we come upon a host of pieces written for five to nine players. Franz Josef Haydn wrote a quintet, a couple of sextets, and an octet. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart wrote a couple different kinds of quintets, some sextets under a genre called divertimento, plus several octets for winds. Ludwig von Beethoven wrote a wind octet, a few various quintets, a sextet, and what we'll hear today, a septet. This is Beethoven's Septet in E-flat major, opus 20. It is scored for these seven instruments, clarinet, horn, bassoon, violin, viola, cello, and double bass. And it is in six movements. Pianists familiar with Beethoven's sonatas might recognize the third movement since it has the same main theme as the minuet for a piano sonata that Beethoven wrote before this septet. Let's listen to this third movement here in a recording by soloists of the Gewandhaus Orchestra Leipzig.
was a recording by soloists of the Gewandhaus Orchestra Leipzig in the third movement of Beethoven's Septet in E-flat, Opus 20. That particular movement uses a recycled theme from a piano sonata, a minuet movement in that, to be specific, that Beethoven had previously written. As we move into the Romantic era, we come to a composer who lived early in the era, overlapping Beethoven's lifespan a fair bit, but composing almost exclusively what we would call Romantic-era works. Franz Schubert wrote a fantastic quintet for strings. This piece is comprised of the traditional string quartet, two violins, viola, and cello, plus an extra cello, causing it to be referred to sometimes as the cello quintet. Schubert was being innovative here because composers like Mozart and Beethoven, when they wanted a string quintet, would add an extra viola, not a cello. This extra cello changes the sound of the instrumental group in a striking way, obviously adding more bass and giving what can be perhaps described as a darker or graver sound to the ensemble. This was also Schubert's last composition, completed just two months before his death in 1828 at the young age of 31. My favorite movement of this is the third movement out of four total. It follows the traditional scherzo-trio-scherzo format, a ternary or three-part form that is characterized by a fast triple meter, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and then a contrasting middle section, and then back to the fast triple meter. This is the Emerson String Quartet with cellist Mstislav Rostropovich joining them to make the string quintet. Thank you. 
are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. Today's episode is titled Music from 5 to 9, and in it we are exploring the great quintet, sextet, septet, octet, and nonet repertoire of music history. That was the scherzo movement, or the third movement out of four, from the string quintet by Franz Schubert. It is scored for a traditional string quartet, two violins, viola, and cello, plus an extra cello, to make five. We heard cellist Mstislav Rostropovich joining the Emerson String Quartet. After that quintet from the early Romantic era, let's hear another great grouping from a similar time in history. This is the String Octet by Felix Mendelssohn. The string octet is the traditional string quartet doubled, so four violins, two violas, and two cellos. Not only is this piece considered one of the great masterpieces of the Romantic era, it was such written by a 16-year-old Mendelssohn. 
Though it was slightly revised 11 years later before its first public performance, it is still nonetheless a wonderment from such a prodigy. Even the child prodigy Mozart is said to have composed his first real masterpiece at age 18. So in terms of music's early bloomers, Mendelssohn may have the prize in this regard. This is an E Musici recording of the first movement.
Music for Life, one of the masterpieces of the 19th century and written by a 16-year-old Felix Mendelssohn. We heard a recording there performed by E. Musici. In our Music from 5 to 9 exploration today, we've heard quintets, septets, and octets, but not any sextets or nonets. And we will move into the 20th century to hear some of those. We're going to hear a sextet by François Poulenc. Poulenc was a French composer who lived from 1899 to 1963. He was one of the members of Les Six, or The Six, a group of French composers we've discussed on this program before, noted for their rejection of late German Romanticism and French Impressionism. Poulenc's sextet is scored for piano plus the standard wind quintet, that is, flute, oboe, clarinet, bassoon, and horn. I want to play the beautiful second movement titled Divertissement Andantino, and it contains a lovely lyrical main theme contrasted by a sprightly comedic middle section. Here it is in a recording by the Danish National Symphony Orchestra wind quintet with pianist Ralph Gattoni.
That was the second movement of Francois Poulenc's Sextet, a work for flute, oboe, clarinet, bassoon, horn, and piano, performed by the Danish National Symphony Orchestra Wind Quintet with pianist Ralph Gattoni. Next, I want to play a nonet, the last kind of ensemble in our discussion of these groupings today. And this one is by Bohuslav Martinu, a Czech composer who lived from 1890 to 1959. By the 1930s, Martinu began to compose extensively, writing chamber, orchestral, choral, and instrumental works at a fast rate. Just as composers like Prokofiev and Bartok quoted music of their native land, Martinu often incorporated Central European tunes into his music, using Bohemian and Moravian folk melodies in many of his pieces. His Nonet No. 2, written in 1959, was composed for flute, oboe, clarinet, horn, bassoon, violin, viola, cello, and double bass. Martinu dedicated this work to the 35th anniversary of the Czech Nonet, a nine-member ensemble that formed in 1924, consisting of a combination of string and wind players who performed music composed from the Baroque era to the 20th century. We're going to hear the first movement performed by the Czech Nonet.
was the Czech nonet, performing a nonet by a Czech composer from the 20th century, Bohislav Martinu. A piece for violin, viola, cello, double bass, flute, clarinet, oboe, bassoon, and French horn. Next, let's have our Classroom Corner segment, where we explore different methods and curricula for introducing young people to music. Since we're talking about larger ensemble sizes today, I want to explore the idea of quantity versus quality as relates to music practice, but not in the way you might expect. One semester, a professor began his class by saying, I'm going to grade this class a little differently than I have in semesters past. It was a pottery class. The students, already a bit more attentive because it was the first day of classes, became even more alert. This half of the room, he gestured to his right, will I grade purely on quantity of work done. I don't care how beautiful or great your pots are. The more pots you make, the higher your grade. He turned to the other half of the room. You, I will grade purely on quality of work. I don't care how many pots you make. You will only turn in one, and it must be of the highest quality to receive the highest grade. The students all got busy. The quality side of the room began working on one pot, most not doing more than that, just to ensure that that one pot was more beautiful than anything they had ever created. Meanwhile, the quantity side just made pot after pot, generating an imposing body of work. At semester's end, the professor made his final evaluation. As he expected, the quality side of the room didn't produce many pots, but he was also somewhat surprised the quality of their one pot turned in wasn't as high as he anticipated, even though they had time to focus on every detail of the perfect pot. His suspicions were further confirmed when he evaluated the other half of the room. Yes, the quantity side had fulfilled their assignment. The quantity each student had produced was considerable, but in viewing the myriad of pots, something stood out more than the plethora of pottery, the quality of them especially the ones made later in the semester. Although the students were not concerned about symmetry or design, their pots were more perfect and of higher quality than the one pot generated for each student in the other half of the class. Why? Because they kept making pots. 
The old adage, practice makes perfect, rang true. Those in life who long for that one perfect pot, the perfect game, the perfect performance, fall short in understanding one vital key to success, constantly practicing what it is you want to be successful at, persevering throughout every effort. We will all have good days and bad. We will all have practices where we are in the zone and everything clicks, but then we will have those days where everything seems off kilter. But students, don't give up. Go ahead and make some bad pots. Get them out of your system. To complete an off day of practice will be more beneficial than just giving up for the day. It's about conquering the human tendency to quit and rising above it and just make another pot. The lesson is, to get better at something, do it a lot. It won't be great every time, but in the end, when it's time for the final grade, you will see that the practice and experiences have paid off all the bad pots forgotten. Not every work of Mozart was a masterpiece, but after writing over 800 works, he had so many amazing musical accomplishments, and all his pots were made in a short life of only 35 years. One best-selling author, when asked to give tips to aspiring writers, said, read a lot, write a lot. That doesn't mean that sheer quantity of practice supersedes quality of how the time is spent, as we've talked about in this segment on previous episodes, but it does show the benefit of just getting in the practice, not necessarily fixating on the perfect pot if it's not happening, not getting bogged down in momentary setbacks or even failures, but simply just making a pot and coming back to make more and more pots in the days to come, finally to see a significant quality improvement over time. This has been Classroom Corner. You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In today's episode, we have explored the great quintet, sextet, septet, octet, and nonet repertoire of music history. In an episode I've titled Music from 5 to 9, we heard a work by Bach arranged for a quintet. We also heard a quintet by Brahms and Schubert, a sextet by Poulenc, a septet by Beethoven, an octet by Mendelssohn, and a nonet by Martinu. In our Sounds of Scripture, we explored evidence of the octave, the famous eight-note interval in the music of biblical times. And in our classroom corner, we just discussed the quality of product that a student can achieve from a mere quantity of practices. Remember, you can follow this show on Twitter and Facebook at Music for Life PCG. Keep those likes coming. Keep those likes coming on our SoundCloud page and in iTunes as well. We really appreciate that. Finally, let's have our dessert for today, where we hear an example from the popular or folk tradition to end the program. This is a great sextet with the size of its group in the name, the most awarded a cappella vocal group in history known as Take Six. The group was formed by the brother of the famous Brian McKnight, Claude McKnight, in 1980 at Oakwood College in Huntsville, Alabama. Here is a track from their first album for which they earned two Grammys. This is A Quiet Place. There is a quiet place Far from the rapid pace Where God can soothe my troubled mind Shall 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 Sh
You have been listening to Music for Life, a production of KPCG 101.3 on the FM dial in Edmond, Oklahoma. From the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus, I'm Ryan Malone. Thanks for joining me.